Today's episode of the Sports Reporters on the Bill Simmons Podcast on the Ringer Podcast Network is brought to you by SeatGeek, our presenting sponsor. For $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase on NBA tickets, all you have to do is use promo code BSNBA. If you live in Chicago, you might be able to get Bulls tickets for negative dollars if you <laughs> use that code. Download the SeatGeek app or go right to SeatGeek.com. We're also brought to you by Orbi. Wi-Fi is something you don't have to worry about unless you don't have it or it's not working, like the video's buffering, Wi-Fi dead zones, everyone's home for the holidays fighting for Wi-Fi. That sucks. If you want better Wi-Fi everywhere, check out an Orbi Wi-Fi system from Netgear, super strong, fast, more reliable, whole home Wi-Fi from your basement to your backyard, change your Wi-Fi world, get Orbi, O-R-B-I, Wi-Fi system from Netgear. Visit netgear.com slash Orbi. We're brought to you by TheRinger.com. That's where you can find my column every Friday. This week, I tried to make up NBA trades that could actually happen. The hardest year ever to do it. Man, the salaries are just uh, unwieldy, Brian Curtis. I don't yeah. like when my NBA salaries are unwieldy. I did my best. <laughs> I fought through it. Tried to come up with some good ones, but man, hard year. Check it out, TheRinger.com. Don't forget about our new podcast that we launched, the JJ Reddick Podcast as well as the relaunch of Binge Mode and Brian Curtis's podcast with David Shoemaker, The Press Box. Yeah. Is on channel 33. It's been getting some buzz. Some media takes. It's been, that's a lot of what we're going to talk about in this pod too. But uh, yeah, you're, you're grabbing that media corner. Coming up, we are doing the sports reporters. Brian Curtis from The Ringer, Jason Gay from The Wall Street Journal. But first, Pearl Jam. <laughs> All right, the sports reporters. We haven't done this one in a while. We were waiting for uh, Jason to call in, and Brian and I were talking about Kaepernick, who's getting now it's end of the year. Have you noticed the end of the year stuff now is like beginning of December? <laughs> it's like whatever happens in December, it's not eligible for uh, the end of the year. It starts before Christmas, before the Christmas stuff starts. Yeah, it's like between Thanksgiving and Christmas. Mm -hmm. uh, but we were just talking about how Kaepernick has played 2017 really nicely. By not giving interviews. The no interview thing was brilliant. The no interview yeah. thing is maybe a move now. You build up a little mystique. Oh, yeah. What do you think of that, Jason? 100%. I mean, pop stars don't need to do interviews anymore. Have you seen an interview with Beyonce in the last couple of years? I mean, this is a person who can now put out an album, win awards, you know, continue on a career without having to do any kind of regular media sit down. Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift's got a big album out. Of course, uh, you know, a very sort of uh, divided uh, conversation happening about that, but I haven't seen a word from her. It's a Leo strategy that he has employed basically the entire time. He'll do like those, sometimes he'll do the little float around fluff junkets, but you'll never read like the, the writer who spent five weeks with Leo DiCaprio. Nicholson, we've never heard right. from in 20 years. No. Kaepernick's funny though. Unusual for an athlete. Yeah, yeah, he's an athlete, but also I think it's the the Trump dynamic is kind of incredible because it would have been so easy for him to try to dunk on Trump on Twitter every week, right? Or actually, yeah. any of these guys in the NFL, uh, you know, Jenkins, Eric Reed, to try to go one on one with him, yeah, because there's a obviously there's a huge audience for that, but they're all just kind of you know been like, nope, 
not going to do it. Like Trump is the most available person media wise in our in our country and maybe the history of the United States. He's gone the other way. And Kaepernick is the least available, right? Yeah. And it's just like I'm just not I'm not going to talk. I'm not I just I have nothing well, not I have nothing to Ka- say. It's not just that Kaepernick's not talking, you know, for the sake of many of the thousands of stories that have been written about him. He's not talking to GQ for being named one of the men of the year. I mean, he's not even talking about talking to the people who are writing rapturous things about him. He is lying completely or flying completely below the traditional cloud bar. Yeah. And that's what, that's what's so amazing about this. Cause we have this thing in sports. I think we talked about this before. We have this thing in sports where if you have a problem or you're out of the, you know, in Kaepernick's case, doesn't have a job. If an athlete has a problem, you go to that sympathetic guy, yeah. TV guy, GQ guy, Esquire guy, right? Thompson. And you say, Hey, we're going to do a profile. It is by its nature, almost certainly going to be sympathetic. The writer's going to take you up and you're going to say everything and you will have quote talked. You will have done it. And Kaepernick just didn't do that. He didn't do it once. Usually you do it once. He didn't, he did it. He didn't do it at all. It's a, what I found is that it seems like celebrities and people of high profile actually like the podcast format more than just about anything else if they're going to do an interview because they can control every single quote that they have that comes out of their mouth versus giving a writer all this access and then ultimately you're ceding the control a little bit. And I wonder if like long form interviews are going to be where things start to drift. I've noticed it with my podcast this year. We've had like unbelievable guests this year, like by far the best year of guests we've ever had. And the people that are coming in to do them now, they're no longer surprised by, oh, what's a podcast? Or, wow, I didn't realize this was going to be so much fun. <laughs> they know what they're doing. Their PR team has prepped them. And they're like, yeah, you're going to go in there. It's like when you go on the Stern show or you go on my show or Marin or a couple others, this is what happens. You're going to be super candid for 70 minutes. And this is how it goes. And they get it. And if I was a celebrity, that that would be... I think a better move than having a magazine profile, right? I have noticed on yours, they don't ask at the beginning, oh, wait, this is 60 minutes long. Yeah. <laughs> they used to do that, right? Like, wait, this is going to be like well, an they, hour. Graydon Carter was the was uh, the the most recent one I've had that was just completely and adorably confused by the whole thing. <laughs> it's like, all right, we're going to start. He's like, what? You're just going to press the button? And then like, it's how long are we going? And then after we were done, he was like, wow, how long was that? Jason, have you noticed people... You know, you still do these glossy magazine profiles. Like, you know, you're a, a man out there. Have you noticed the celebrities more self-aware with interviews or are they the same? 100%. 100% more self-aware because, you know, we live in such a atomized culture with uh, social media that the smallest verbal misstep can become a two-day story. I, I think part of what the appeal with podcasts are is that it's a conversation in context. I mean... People can listen to, you know, whether it's an hour and a half or Kevin Durant or whomever else, um, and they're getting sort of a bigger portrait of what these people are saying within the context of a bigger picture, and they're not getting just sort of that bullet quote that just becomes kicked around, uh, you know, sports media for uh, 24 hours. I think that's a big part of the appeal is you really can sort of put yourself out there in context. And I would say from the journalist's point of view that a lot of profiles – don't get the person. And so they had left with the bullet quote thing. Yeah. Um, but that's often a failing of the journalist. Uh, yeah, because you just didn't, you didn't get the person, you know, and, and as a, I want, by the way, the person not to do yeah. podcasts, I want them to come to me and let me do the profile. I'm not rooting for this to right. happen. 
Um, yeah. And some of them do, but you have a great responsibility to figure them out. And sometimes they don't give you anything and you just, you can't do it. But you know, the cool part about the journalists in this exchange is you get to explain the person in a way. Sometimes they can't explain themselves and you also get to call their friends and you get to call their family and you get to, you know, bring all this context in again, if you do it right. And if everything works out. Yeah. It's hard. It's hard to, to fake it in a podcast. It's too long of a conversation. I, I would say the world's greatest actors could probably do it, but I, I would think most normal people, you kind of are who you are. Mm-hmm. Maybe you're presenting a certain certain uh, way that you are hoping people perceive you. But for the most part, it, when you're just shooting the shit with somebody, it's really hard to fake that. Yeah, it's our, you know. Let me ask you a question, Bill. If you were able to get Goodell for an hour, would you take it? I think I would. Of course you would. Come on. Well, I Will you I say have... no to Goodell? Yeah. Well, he would never do it, though. I know. But but if he said yes, he would say yes. If he was like Come an on. hour, you think everything's... Make it worthwhile? Why would it not be worthwhile? I guess it would. Like, I, I've had people... I've had people offer to me that I've turned down that I think would surprise both of you guys. I don't want to say it just because I don't want to hurt anyone's feelings. But I really do think about it. Like, will this be a good podcast? Goodell, I think, would be a good podcast from a train wreck standpoint and he'd probably be really defensive. I don't think it would be a good conversation. I don't think he's capable of having one. Yeah. I, I, but, I was just, just going to say the podcast reveals whether you're a good hang or a bad hang. And Goodell seems like a tough he's, hang he's to a, use Jason Concepcion's Twitter hang. thing. He seems like a tough hang, but it's so worth it journalistically, right? Yeah. You have because a billion something will questions happen. you want to ask him. Right. It was like uh, on our Slack, Kevin Clark a couple of weeks ago asked in our, in our movie Slack, Daniel Day Lewis, good hang or bad hang? Yeah. And a bunch of people weighed in and we, I was in the good hang camp cause he's Irish. I just feel like Irish people are just, I just had such a good, that's where you came from. Yeah, 25% Irish. I've had such a good success rate hanging with the Irish that, I feel like that's lurking there, but other people are like, no way. Terrible hang. I would love the BS pod. I just want to say Daniel Day Lewis. <laughs> well, we so we taped Paul Thomas Anderson, me and Fantasy, we interviewed him two days ago, and it's running Christmas week. I thought he was gonna be good, but I wasn't positive. He was awesome. Really? But yeah. you know, that's one where it's like, all right, this is his, the best director of the last 20 years. Seems like a fairly serious guy, but the thing is he's not. He's married to Maya Rudolph. Like there's comedy boogie nights. Like he's a, a child of like my generation. Like he's, there's was more there, but I, I didn't know. You see, you never really know until you you're hanging with somebody. Directors seem like weird hangs. It seems a tough. Directors right? are tough. Yeah, they are tough. I mean, I think another thing about podcasts as a format is that you can't really do talking points. I mean, you're going to run out of steam within three minutes. And you think of somebody like Goodell, you know, his interview style is sort of, built for Mike and Mike, right? You know, you come on, it's a three and a half minute hit. You nail the two points you want to hit. You kick it down the curb a little bit, but that's really it. There's really no more going beyond that. And, you know, if you're doing 45 minutes, even if you're doing 20 minutes on a podcast, you can't get out there and just simply recite talking points and stay on your message because they're just, you're going to run out pretty quickly. Yeah. The closest you see is, you know, when somebody like Brady will do a 25-minute interview with WEI, he might get a little groggy at the 20-minute mark and give one little <laughs> nugget. Yes. But yeah. for the most part, people who are in the spotlight all the time, 
I, I think most coaches are just horrible interviews. I, I never, ever understand when radio shows are like, coming up, we have uh, the coach from blank. And it's always <laughs> terrible. It's never, oh, the kids out there, you know, I'm so proud of the kids. You know, everybody's working so hard. He's a great kid. And it, they, they're yeah. not saying anything. This is it's the terrible. NFL, you know, you got to do this and this <laughs> and this. And the, co- the coach could do talking points for an hour. For, like, even they, for five hours, yeah, I mean, they would never. They never get groggy. They no. just keep. They yeah. just keep going back to that. You know, subroutine. Like, oh, we got a tough matchup this week. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, yeah it's, it's a grueling season. Uh, got to keep your eye on the prize. They're awful. But I think like Belichick what? would be mm. if Belichick was into it, and it was like we're gonna sit down for five hours and just talk about football. And he got into it. I think he would be amazing. That would be, he's in my Mount Rushmore of dream podcast. Of course. Of course. That would be like incredible. removing all the Pat stuff. I just think he's, I think he's dying to talk about football. He, he does this weird, he's this weird weekly thing. I think it's on patriots.com or somewhere, somewhere, some weird website where he breaks down a play from the game the week before. Yeah. It yeah. is the most riveting, yeah. like three minutes on the internet. They're every fabulous. Time. They're fabulous. I've seen them. So yeah. it's in there. Nobody can, can get do- to it. He can do a five-minute soliloquy, as he did the other day, on the punt blocker. Um, yeah. You know, I think if you were to get him in a podcast, he would give you, you know, grunts to what's it like to win five Super Bowls. But if you got him going on college lacrosse uh, or you got him going on, you know, any number of sort of the idiosyncratic things that he does as a coach, he would be amazing. I mean, there is sort of a funny list of people who are on the Mount Rushmore, great interviews who are publicly sort of boring. Yeah. Uh, and Bill Belichick would definitely be one of those. I think Popovich is another one, right? I think people know he's probably a great interview, but they also know him at the halftime interviews or the, or the uh, between quarter interviews when he won't give anyone anything. Cause he, and the reason he won't is because it's beneath him. Yes. He's so yeah. aggravated that he's trying to coach a game and he's got to give this generic fluff Thing, but I think he's, I think guys like that, like if you went to Belichick, you know, he's in a press conference and guys are like, hey, St- Stefan Gilmore is playing really well lately, huh? And then he's got to come up with a soundbite off the question or talk about how well Deion Lewis has been playing lately. And he's got to do that. Right. I think he's dying for anyone in the crowd to be like, hey, Bill, uh, can you talk about how the headhunting rules have changed how you approach throwing the ball over the middle. He'd be like, oh, I'm so excited to talk about this. And you go for 12 minutes. Gruff guys often no. make surprisingly good interviews. Because yeah. you get, we all want to talk to schmoozy guy because he likes you. Oh, I'm a huge fan of your work. Oh, just great. Your piece the other day was fabulous. Right. And you talk for an hour and you feel so petted and schmoozed up. And then you look at the transcript afterwards and you got nothing. Yeah. Nothing. But, but gruff guy. Guy who's non, not, let's say non schmoozy guy, you often get great stuff. I interviewed George Lucas once, who is not oh, schmoozy. Yeah, famous. And he is, he was great because everything was, you just had to just kind of, you know, get him and, oh, yeah. And he's kind of, you know, a little bitter about things and honest and a little angry. And it's, it was fabulous. He was great. Who was the best person you ever interviewed, Jason? Just for, just like you were like, oh my God, I got so much stuff. I'm, I'm falling over. Letterman. Wow. See, really? that's, that's not schmoozing. Yeah. That's not, that's exactly what I'm talking about. That's yeah. perfect. Because he, he feels, I mean, he, first of all, he does it so little. He's done a lot more in the last couple of years, you know, because of National Geographic. I'll be talking to more people now off television than he did when he did television. But at the time that I spoke to him, he probably hadn't done a print interview in, you know, half a dozen years. And 
he just feels like, look, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it. I'm going to go all in. I'm going to tell you everything you want to know. I'm going to answer every question honestly because that's what I want as an interviewer. And so there just wasn't one dishonest interview in the two or three hours that we talked. Uh, he just was completely on the level throughout. And this was at a time when, you know, things had kind of settled down between he and Leno, and he sort of conceded defeat in the ratings at least. And, yeah. you know, it was it, he just was super candid. And it was a funny interview because he did half in person and half on the phone. And weirdly, the phone was a little better, if I remember correctly. Um, but yeah, I mean, look, he's just, I mean, he's an Oracle, uh, and, and it really lived up to every expectation I had. When I, I interviewed Jake Gyllenhaal like two months ago, I didn't know what to expect. I just figured it was going to be like, and he'd actually done research and listened to my podcast. Yeah. I remember that. And then, uh, he was kind of just ready to, to talk and talk about stuff. And by the end of it, I I was really convinced that he loved acting and I I don't think he could have faked it. Like the way, the yeah. how excited he was and seeing like the, the look in his eye and the different things he was saying. I was like, wow, this guy loves acting. When I, those are always the fun ones when you don't really know beforehand. Like you don't have a finished opinion on somebody and or you think a certain way and then they come in and you just like, yeah, wow, what about, I didn't, didn't realize this. What about this. Obama? Obama's- you know, Obama, what you get? What you get? An hour, and 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 my my main question with that is like, how the hell do you interrupt? Because obviously he you can can't. just take one question. And you you can't. You can't interrupt. Well, I did. So can I did it twice. Him? I did it twice, and the first time we had a twenty minute limit, and we had cameras, so he didn't filibuster. That was on in two thousand twelve when we did it with ESPN, and he was ready to talk sports, and it was like just back and forth sports. The second time we did it was the GQ thing. I had like an hour but there are no cameras and he yeah. was near the end of the presidency and he kind of knew he could control it. And if he talked longer, that was less questions basically. So the best part of that interview was when I did speed run with him. Yes. And yeah. cause it was like, he had no, it's like fast, fast go. And that was when it started to come out. But that first 40 minutes, I probably didn't do a great job either. So it's, it's a, it's a really unnatural place to interview somebody because you, it's basically a museum. It's it's a place that's been there for three hundred years, or however, what two hundred and how long in the White House? Two hundred fifty years? Yeah, I can't add. Um, I, was say, I don't think we're three hundred years two, old as a nation. Yeah, two hundred forty years, whatever. Um, but you have, you know, these paintings, uncomfortable wooden chairs, sofas that feel like they came from nineteen thirty, and it's super quiet and creaky, and it's not like a hang. You're in the White House, mm-hmm. and it takes a while yeah. to get used to that. And you know he he was interesting because he uses certain things to an advantage. Like I wrote about, it, it was like a home game for him, right? He's got yeah, he's home, I'm away. Yeah. He's he uses sarcasm. He immediately goes in. He makes fun of you. Like he's one of those. He yeah. keep, keeps you on your toes. You're you're playing defense right yeah. away. And uh, it was still really fun to interview him. I mean, he's exactly what you think he would be. Who's he, the most fun person you interviewed, Brian? Um, most fun or about most, I guess, most surprising, most surprised you were by what you got out of it. I mean, Jamel Hill was pretty, pretty fun. And I'll say, because she never used the words off the record in the three and a half hours we spent together, (laughs) not once, which was fabulous. And we were having dinner and having a glass of wine and, and she just, she's just a very frank, honest person for being a person as big as she is. It's funny about Obama because it's an interesting combination of, he likes the sparring, right? He's, he's smart. So he likes the give and take, but he can also be professorial. 
So, Bill, oh, you asked the question. Here's my 10 minute round the world right. answer to that. Yes. I'm going to give you the complete answer. And you're sitting there as an interviewer going, OK, I didn't actually want that much, you know. Right. Now, uh oh, a good trick when you that I that I've learned over the years when you're interviewing somebody is you always have to put yourself in their shoes for what they want out of it. So like that first time with Obama, it was clear he just been in the president for four years. He loved sports. He was so excited that I was coming to, to that this person was coming to talk sports with him and not healthcare and all these things that he's <laughs> talked about forever. And he's like, I just, I get to yeah. talk about the bulls and Derek Rose. This is the best. And uh, yeah. I think yeah. when you put, when you put yourself it, like Coates was on, I had Ta-Nehisi Coates on a few weeks ago. Who's fantastic. And that the one thing, the one strategy I had was, I don't want to talk uh -huh. about, he's given the same interview 12 times. I don't sure. want to hit those yep. same points. I know there's like all that. And we ended up talking about all this cool stuff that he, he probably never gets to talk about. So I don't know. That's one tip yeah. I've learned over the years. I've had that experience uh, with uh, Russell Westbrook, who I think won an award recently among basketball writers for the worst possible interview candidate. <laughs> right. Um, not not undeserved. Him, yeah. <laughs> interviewed him twice on the topic of fashion, which we all know is one of Russell's uh, favorite hobbies, or yeah. more than a hobby, and once on stage uh, for an hour. Um, and he will talk until your ears fall off about, you know, the, the business of fashion, his taste, how it applies to his everyday life. And, and so, I mean, it could not be more interesting and courteous and just, you know, smart about all this stuff. And then, you know, it's a complete contrast, of course, to the NBA, which I think by comparison bores him um yeah i mean that's that's the strategy right we're gonna we're gonna talk about <laughs> this other thing and you're gonna be really loquacious about it now let me ask you about kd uh-oh yeah <laughs> interview over no more no, well, talking sneak them in there no, you, you you can sneak those things in there in, in that kind of context, I think. I mean, once you've built up a little bit of goodwill on a topic. I mean, you know, we have this conversation all the time at the Journal about uh, product placement interviews with athletes. I mean, you guys get the same kinds of offers we do, but, you know, they're like, oh, you know, Joe, well, you want Joe Montana to come in? He'll talk to you about, you know, what's it like to win four Super Bowls plus Haas Avocados. Um, and... We have a pretty standard rule that we don't do them, uh, but it has really become this huge economy that's out there of high-profile people who will come in and talk to you about something, but it has to have some sort of product tie-in, which is oftentimes completely weird and not even related to the individual. I mean, it's, it's, it's a different you know, ball of wax when you're talking about Jennifer Lawrence about a movie she's got. I mean, that's technically product placement, too, but at least there's some sort of you know, compulsion artistically to talk about it. Um, but it's I, I hate those sort of commercial athlete interviews. ESPN would the, 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 a lot of the car washes. The person would have to plug, and you're here for P, PD ninety X, right? And they would oh be like God. shoehorn those in at the end. And there's media ones now. Like yeah. I saw Sam Ponder mm. doing, you know, I kind of water or something. I can't remember what it was. And like, wait, now we're on this to get Sam Ponder. You have to do the native ad interview. I remember that started like ten, eleven years ago, and I was always blown away. Like there was one ESPN person who used to wear the, uh, I think it was Marquee Jets or Net, or Net Jets. He'd wear the hat when they did Mike and Mike. <laughs> it was just every time. It was clearly like, you know, it's like, is, is the next one he's going to wear a NASCAR suit? I think it was Mark Schlereth. Uh, hold on. We're, we're all looking for something. For some, it's love. For some, it's purpose. Unforgettable experiences. But for most people, like my wife, it's her keys. 
With Tracker Pixel, you'll never have to worry about losing your things again. Thanks to the all-new Tracker Pixel, the lightest Bluetooth tracking device on the market. Place Tracker Pixel on whatever you tend to lose, keys, wallet, whatever. When you misplace an item that has a Tracker Pixel attached, use your smartphone and 90 decibel alert will help you find it in seconds. It has powerful LED lights so you can find things in the dark. It can find your phone even on silent. That's huge. I, I have so many times lost my phone in, the, in like the cushion. Ditto. Not known. Uh, since every tracker user is part of the world's largest crowd locate network in the world, you can locate items from miles away. And thanks to the 30 day money back guarantee, you truly have nothing to lose for this holiday season. Go to the track R. So the track letter R.com slash BS for 20% off any order. That is the track R.com slash BS for 20% off. My dream interview for like a five hour, it'll never happen, would be LeBron. Really? I think he has the most to say that he hasn't said yet, and I think it's in there. Good. And I, I don't think he'll ever do it unless it's on the uninterrupted platform with like Maverick Carter interviewing him. He'll never take the chance. By the way, gun to your head, LeBron or Jack Nicholson, who do you take? What kind of state of mind is Nicholson in these days? Let's, let's, let's say he's, he's you know, He's happy to talk and he's, he's, let's say both of me, we can only, we can only do it if they're both in the mood to, to go. Right. So Nicholson's like, I haven't done one of these in 10 years. I'm 10. ready to talk about everything. <laughs> 30. I'd rather have Nicholson. I think so. That's right? like 60 years of stories. You got to do Nicholson. What do you have, Jason? I mean, I have a lot, uh, you know, I, I did want to, uh, just to keep the thread going, Stallone or Cruz, if you had to choose between those two. So I got, they offered us to go to London to interview Cruz when he was filming Mission Impossible, and I couldn't pull it off because of the schedule. But I think I think I have a chance to get Cruz in 2018, and if if I have him, I'm gonna ask for like five hours. I might just I might just duct tape him to the couch. I just want to go. I want to do the IMDb game with him and just have it go on for the entire day. It would be incredible. A nine hour podcast. It would be incredible. Ah, right. Bill, let me tell you about Val Kilmer. <laughs> just going all, all in. <laughs> I would absolutely love that. And you've never done Stallone? No. Why is Stallone not doing it? Isn't he, he's not into his own nostalgia? I'm afraid of that one. There's certain ones that I worry that they might not be good and that, or they might be jerks. And They'll I don't, ruin it? I don't want to ruin Stallone for the rest of my life. I love Stallone so much. I was going to say, imagine if he came in and treated you as an asshole. Ask that'd, Jac be, that'd be crushing. Jacoby, when we had uh, my old Grantland buddy and, and uh, our old Grantland teammate, when we get, were able to get Larry Bird in Indiana in 2012, I almost didn't do it because I was like, what if he's an right. asshole? And my whole life yeah. is going to be flipped upside down. By the way. He wasn't yeah, an cool. asshole. I, I, we probably all three have had Larry Bird experiences. Fabulous. Yeah. The best. Absolutely great. Because he's from Indiana. Who's not a great person from Indiana? And you used to just be able to call the Pacers and, you know, like 10 minutes later, hey, Brian, it's Larry Bird. <laughs> you know, What? No clue who I was. It's kind hey, of Brian, that Letterman like, thing what too. Do you need, man? Yeah. One time he, I missed him, you know, and he left a message, and he called back like three times to get me. I oh mean, it was God. just fabulous. Yeah. He was great. Yeah. Hey, Jason. Yeah. Jason, we're gonna audible. Jason wanted to talk about the future of uh, play by play and studio shows, which I think is an interesting topic because Chris Ryan mentioned to me the other day, we're watching NBA TV. And how NBA TV has this old model for how to do studio shows that's from 20 years ago. And they have the, the, the generic set, 
the ho- typical host, couple ex players, couple ex coaches, and they just do it the old way. And Chris was saying, "Isn't there a new way? Isn't if you're NBA TV, is there a new way to do this?" And then I started thinking about the pregame shows, most of which the ratings have dropped precipitously, and people. It's so easy to get information in so many other places. You don't necessarily need a pregame show for your info. Fox's football show still does well. ESPN Sunday show tanked. I think all the other ones really depends on what the game is beforehand. Um, let's hit. Let's talk about studio shows first. Then we'll do play by play. Where do you see studio shows going? Is there a level we can get to that for whatever reason we're just not hitting? I think the biggest single thing that's changed with studio shows is that hardcore sports fans have gotten so much smarter right and medium sports fans have you know probably gotten slightly smarter but mostly stayed the same so if you're a hardcore sports fan that studio show is just on a completely different level than you it's like 10 rungs down the ladder from you it's beneath you yeah i mean but like i think in the in the night you know early 90s late 80s definitely you wouldn't have been that far off the studio show in terms of knowledge it would have been a little elementary you know a little basic but now there's just such a huge separation. So do you think that's why Fox's football show, which I got to say, I, would, I wouldn't say it's phenomenal analysis. Um, You're talking about Terry Howie and Jimmy? Yeah, it's it's characters. There's the puff pieces. It's guys. Rob that, Riggle. Guys got, I like, but I don't really take their opinion seriously. It's guys that have been big stars for 20 years. It's people that are laughing yeah, and, and mean, fake laughing. Yeah, fake laughing. And it's noise, <laughs> noise to have on Sunday morning for casual fans. Like a morning it's show. A it's like GM, it's GMA show. for football. You know, that's right. what it is. I what think. do you think, Jason? Yeah. I mean, I think it's a hang, you know, to use the term we were using before. I think that that's what it is. These are comfortable, you know, voices that you're familiar with and you've, you know, grown up with in some instances. I think the same can be said for Inside the NBA. I mean, that is not a show with, you know, deeply complicated analysis, but I find myself very often at the middle of uh, Turner games the halftime saying, I can't wait to hear what Chuck and Kenny have to say about this. I mean, and I don't think I'm alone in that. And they are funny and they are irreverent, but they're not like giving you some sort of like, you know, insane breakdown of what's happening. Yeah. it's why Pedro is good at this. Martinez. It's why David Ortiz is good at this. At some level. You sure he's good at this? I think he's decent. At some level. just because, I'm biased because I love him. I, I don't, I couldn't. My ears perk up because I kind of want to know what he has to say. And he seems nice. And, you know, seems like a guy I want to spend time with Hank. To use I didn't word. think the A-Rod show was nearly as good as it was last year. Oh, that's interesting. Because they had too many people. I thought too many. First of you all. You miss Pete. I can't remember if we've ever talked about this before. But when I see five people on a studio show, I'd laugh my ass off. Oh, because gosh. I've actually done. Yeah. Oh, Jason has too. But yeah, at least when you did the uh, Regis show, you guys had a bunch of time. Like when you have a five person show and it's a half hour <laughs> and it's four or five minute segments and you have to work five people in, it's it's a disaster. There's no way you're going to have a normal conversation. It's, a, it's never going to happen. And I always used, I remember I wrote about this 10 years ago. Uh, I used the, uh, the table of four analogy. If you go to dinner... The best dinner you can have is usually you and two other people. It's three-person mm-hmm. dinner. Four people can be good, but sometimes it'll break up and it'll just be two people talking and two people talking and they're just it's two separate conversations flying. You have five. Ugh. Now you got to put the table at the end. I always think like like four people works pretty much with everything. It works when you're playing blackjack, it works when you're getting a cab. 
the fifth person is like the monkey wrench and the studio shows they just can't resist they love it they love another ESPN, hall of famer ESPN countdown do we need five people on the Sunday NFL <laughs> countdown show I like hearing Randy Moss you need a host just give me two more I'm good mm-hmm. what do you think Jason I mean, part of it probably is just like a policy of wanting to hire people away from your competitor, right? You're like, well, we yeah. don't want them going over the competition, so we're going to hire them. We're going to find some place to stick them. And it's funny, the rotations, how you know guys will move from one channel to one channel to invariably the NFL network or whatever the um, you know network is for their sport. But I, you know, I have to admit that I turn down the volume now in most major sporting events because the volume of information and the depth of the analysis that you can now get on the second screen is oftentimes superior to what they're giving you in real time on the telecast. Um, yeah. It's stunning, I'm, you know, especially with things like injury reports, instant replays, um, statistical data. I mean, all the things, think of like, you know, we heard these stories years over, you know, about, uh, you know, Joe Buck's right-hand man in the booth. Well, now we all have that virtually, right? You know, the person who's just feeding you information and backstory on things that are happening on the field. Um, all of us have access to that. So these things feel extraneous to me now. I don't know. Curtis is old school. I don't know. Well, first of all, these I write about this, so this is my Stallone and, and my you know yeah. Tom Cruise writer, Joe Buck and Marv Albert and everybody. I just feel it's one of those things we say that, and then when you have a big, important game, yeah. and it's done well, and somebody's in control, uh, or you have like a play when the Pats last won the Super Bowl, when Russell Wilson throws that interception, you want Chris Collinsworth explained to you what happened like, I agree. right away. You, you, now, when it's bad, you just I do the same thing. I start looking at Twitter. I don't pay attention at all. Can I agree with both of you? Yeah. Yeah. I think I've hit the point where I only have the volume up for a couple for a couple people. Buck. I thought Buck and Smoltz were fantastic during the playoffs. Romo, I really thought they were good. Romo, Romo game. When Romo calls your game, it's like a gift from the gods. Sunday night. And the Sunday night. And what's what's amazing to me now about the NBA is I have it on mute. Unless it's Tommy Heinsohn. I still love Tommy Heinsohn. I love the South against <laughs> Tommy. amazing exception to make yeah. Oh my God, Aaron Baines! <laughs> but if it's TNT or uh, ESPN, I turn it off and I, but that's when I'll listen to like Ringer Podcasts and catch up on stuff because you can have the game in the background. I don't need, nobody can, during a basketball game, can tell me stuff I'm not going to recognize watching the game. I'm not going to get any sort of information, anything. So I might as well do second screen it. Now you are a rare in that case. You are on a different level of NBA knowledge. But I don't like think you, there's like a lot. I, they will tell me some stuff I don't know. It's not a lot to say. I mean, yeah, but I don't. My, like my, I don't know all that stuff. Yeah, but my thing is, I'm not sure there's an analyst right now who will actually tell you stuff that you really need to know. By the way, you've not talked about this before. The 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 lack of the of a great NBA color guy. It was Steve Kerr. We had one. But that And even, then he became one of the three best coaches. But he even he was in a in a he was short. He had that run with Marv, right? Remember? And now we yeah. go to our segment uh Steve Wonders uh, right. to uh break down the first half. <laughs> I don't, you know, like he's into, st- I remember liking him, but I don't, I don't have a lot of memory of Steve Kerr. I mean, we just haven't had it. There's no John Madden. There's no. nobody. Collins was phenomenal when he was at his peak. Just like, uh, break out. Do you disagree? Yeah. He he was, I he never did it for me. Remember he'd always talk about how teams finish quarters. Like that was yeah, every there game. Was some cliche stuff. There was some stuff he went back. Well, he's the most polarizing to. guy. Like if I hear you, I'm out immediately. Cause I just feel like he's lecturing me the whole time. He's a nice guy. I think it's amazing that he's still doing it at his age, but 
I just don't want to be lectured when I'm watching a basketball. I game. never got that cult of Hubie. Some I people love it. Coralabob loves we, it. We, we we sound like you know a bunch of people talking about our favorite print newspaper columnists. You know that that there is a whole new viewing habit that exists out there of the most desirable viewing audience there is, the younger demographic, and those folks aren't watching sports in the way that you and I or all of us grew up watching. They are not sort of watching it in linear fashion. They're not like, oh, the basketball game's on. Let's watch yeah. the first quarter, second quarter, third quarter. They are multitasking. I mean, I'm interested to hear that you're actually listening to podcasts as you're watching a basketball game. That's kind of interesting because you're kind of crossing the streams there a little bit. But I, it's entirely possible to pay attention to a basketball game now on Twitter and feel like you're not missing much. Yesterday, last night, it was the Sixers-Lakers game, and I felt like every big thing that happened in that game, I was seeing within 20 seconds of it happening and not feeling like I was really missing out. And you're seeing around uh, the world now in terms of rights fees and people reconsidering what they're paying for them that there's real concern that there's a whole generation coming up of people who are not, you know, just couch-bound viewers anymore. And how do you market to those people? And are sports overpriced because of that? Or that the red zone generation, yeah, which has definitely changed how people watch football. There's no question. Like nephew Kyle over here. But I've noticed... I'm actually watching, I'm more locked in with NBA this year, watching different teams than than I have been in a couple of years. And part of it is because the league pass app is so good now that yeah. I can, I love watching fourth quarters. I think fourth quarter, you can really get by. You watch, you want to watch big, big whole games every once in a while, like Sixers Lakers last night. You can learn about bench play, all that stuff. But you really want to watch fourth quarters because that's when the game slows down. That's when it becomes the hardest to do what you want to do, especially in a close game. And you really learn a lot about teams. You can go on the league pass. They have the 15 second advance button and you can bang out fourth quarters in like nine minutes. Mm. Guy makes a shot. You press the 15 second advance button. The other team's about to set up their shot and you can just, you can rip through them. And if you, if you want to go backwards, you can do that. And I, I feel like I have such a good feel this year for what teams want to do at the end of the games just from that. Now, we didn't have that 10 years ago. You know, 10 years ago, you had to sit through. The other thing the NBA did that was really smart was they got rid of a little bit of the timeout clutter. They got rid of four during the game. They move it along in the last five minutes a little better. And it's just, I, I think it's honestly one of the reasons that the ratings have gone up, which I know we want to talk about. Which the uh, NFL has tried to do, you know, this NFL year. NFL started to do it. The commercial with the players still on the field, I think is really smart. I'd say one thing to, uh, to Jason talking about, you know, comparing to like us talking about our favorite sports columnists. I totally agree. And I'm amazed at how that position is still a giant, highly paid position on network television which position the, the just play-by-play the, guy the main color and guy main guy. main and play-by-play in color i mean because you look at like newscasters network newscaster who is hosting the cbs evening news youtube right now who just got named the host anybody anybody name it name the guy jeff glore oh my gosh jeff glore you could yeah. you could be making that bill, up and i wouldn't know if bill i believe look, it bill looks like you just named it rare disease or jeff something glore. he has no idea who you're talking jason about. you have jeff glore you got to get that treated. Hey, I had Jeff Glore, yeah. That position now has I, shrunk so much. And yeah. yet, Joe yeah. Buck, Al Michaels, all these guys, they're huge. Mike Tirico, you know, like it's still a huge job. And you make a lot of money doing that. And Doc Emmerich's another one. Yeah, Doc Emmerich, I have the volume up for Doc Emmerich. There you go. That's a good one. Yeah, he's... I have no idea who his color guy is, and I don't really <laughs> care. And I don't really know why we need a hockey color guy, but Doc Emmerich's amazing. Golf. 
There's something about those Nance tones. Nance is I gotta a perfect say, spot for Nance. I gotta say, I feel comfortable when I hear him. There's no other golf person. Faldo's pretty good. Yeah. Is there anybody who's like uh, completely indispensable? Not indispensable, I don't think. Tennis, the McEnroe's are fantastic. I like when they're together and they don't do it all the time, but when they're together, I, I enjoy yeah. that the most. I still, yeah. yeah, I still miss the bud. See, I always felt like the wild card guy who didn't coach or play putting them in the booth is still something that we we've panicked and forgotten to experiment with because Kornheiser Monday Night Football Dennis Miller and Dennis Miller and it's like this doesn't work and it's like this actually should work this is how we should be thinking about stuff when you have like some random Wednesday night game between Memphis and New Orleans like have Justin Timberlake come in for two quarters I love when Adam Silver comes in I would love I would love more stunt color yeah absolutely Jalen and There's I did a game. Oh, I'm sorry. I was going to say Jalen and I did a game with Tariko once. I don't know yeah. if people liked it, but it was so much fun and it was just different and we approached it differently. We had a great time. It was just weird. It's like there's a six-month season. You might as well try stuff. Yeah, you would think that, you know, given the fact that the stakes are lower, I mean, people don't watch as much Monday Night Football, for example, than they did in the even the Kornheiser era, so why not experiment more with it? You really see how traditionalists coverage habits are when something like, you know, what they did, you know, a month and a half ago when the Patriots had that fogged in game and they had to go to the overhead quote unquote Madden cam and everybody went, wow, this is amazing. This is what football is supposed to be. We should be doing this every game. I mean, it really just makes you realize that we've been stuck in these old habits forever. You know, like 40 years ago, you go those big boxing pay-per-views. Hmm. Their gimmick was they would always have like a massive A-list celebrity as the third person in the booth. Pearl Bailey called called one of the big elite fights, right? Yeah, it's Sinatra. It was, Don, it was Don Dunphy and Pearl Bailey. And Sinatra what? was in there once, and uh, it, it was like one of their gimmicks. I can't if there's a couple other good examples too, but I kind of enjoy that. Like with boxing, why do I need, like Kellerman's fantastic. Yeah, and Lampley. Really good. I don't know if I need a boxer. I would almost rather have Charles Barkley as the third guy. Well, the third guy in the boxing is always, it's, it's brutal. It can be really bad. I mean, Merchant was great, and then there'd be a boxer who you forgot was even there. Right. Yeah. By the way, Jason Priestley did an Indy 500. Do you know that? Like, I don't know anything yeah. that happened with booth? Jason Priestley. Amazing, right? Jason Gay, is the NBA over the NFL a real thing? Not at the moment in terms of just the raw numbers, right? You know, the NBA would, you know, go crazy to have the ratings of a very, very low-rated NFL game. But I think the momentum there is, you know, exists, both from a numbers perspective and certainly from a cultural perspective. I mean, there's just a lot more excitement. I mean, I, there have been numerous instances over the course of this year where you've had competing NBA contests against primetime NFL games. And to me, it's been like no contest that I've been watching the NBA. And you could argue that the stakes are much lower because we're talking about, you know, November, December NBA. How big a deal is that? And yet it's just so much more entertaining. And I find myself toggling between the two sports less and less when they're competing up against each other. And, uh, you know, just in terms of the volume of discussion, the number of players who are sort of high-profile players, um, and frankly, like, I think a little bit of a, the joy of it um, is a huge part of it. The NFL kind of feels like a bummer, right? You know, there's all sorts of things that are happening on and off the field, whereas, you know, the Warriors make people happy. The Celtics make people happy. You know, there's compelling stuff that's happening throughout the conferences. And, you know, I know that the NFL, I mean, the NBA, rather, 
you know, they're not looking at this and saying like, okay, we're going to take over the NFL in two to three years, but they're like, we like our odds a generation from now, especially when you consider, you know, all the long-term player injury stuff. Yeah. There's been a lot of momentum that built up over the decade that we've discussed on this podcast multiple times, just about the marketability of the athletes and how smart the league is, how they've embraced social media where the NFL has in all these different reasons. This is the first year it's really manifested itself. Dating, going back to the finals, to the draft, to free agency, to summer league, to the rookies, to the trades, to mid-August, Kyrie gets traded, to they move the season up earlier, to all of these fun stories. I was talking with one of my NBA buddies last night. We were saying like, cannot remember a season where they're even like the bad to mediocre teams are still fun to watch. Like, I don't know if you guys have watched Atlanta this year, but like Dennis Schroeder has been really good this year. He's fun to watch him. It's not like they're this throwaway shit team. Brooklyn is really kind of entertaining to watch. They're well coached. You go on down the line and even, even the, even like the 500 teams, they have guys everybody's got kind of an identity. It's become like the gangs from the Warriors. Like Philly's got their process identity. You know, it's, it's, and then you go, you look at the NFL Monday night, that Steelers Bengals game was just, it just was dark. I thought McDonough was going to get up and just leave <laughs> after the, after the last, the last Antonio Brown hit. I really thought McDonough was like, fuck this. I'm out of here. And just get up, leave yeah. Gruden by himself. He was in a weird place. He didn't know what to do. Yeah, it's like it was yeah. like becoming like it, it had crossed some line, and I don't know, like when Hayward broke his ankle five minutes into the season on TNT, that was horrible, and people were traumatized by it for the rest of the night. Football has that all the time. They oh, have yeah. these moments where you're like, "Oh my god!" They've had it for yeah. a long time too, by the way. Yeah, yeah. but it's it feels like social media and our awareness of the damage is really making it. Eric, it texts me all the time. He's like, this is bad. This is football's not going to recover from this. Um, yeah. It just feels that way all the time. But football, still the ratings like yesterday, Sixers, Lakers versus Falcons, Saints, and the NFL is three to four times. So it's not like the NFL is like of course. dying. But I've, by the way, not, not in the least. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I, I'm going to hurt your feelings, but I also do feel, and I say this as a person from New England, that I think the Patriots thing has been bad for football. I think people are sick of it. They're sick of them. They're sick of the domination, I, I and there doesn't seem to be anything in, in, in stopping it. Yeah, there was a couple of weeks ago when we all when we all realized the Patriots are definitely going to win the AFC and probably win the Super Bowl. <laughs> that just this massive amount of depression went over all out of us. It's the Yankee syndrome, right? Where the, uh, the, uh, the, yeah. the Yankees again. I will say I feel part of my job at the ringer is to be the check on the NBA triumphalism that just flows out of this place. It's, it's crazy. <laughs> and I was my moment this year was game seven of the ALCS. Um, I think I'm getting this right. And I looked at Twitter and like all my colleagues and also just half of sports Twitter was watching the Sixers game two. Right. And I was like, what the fuck is going on? Are you people nuts? Game seven. Yeah. And you're watching the Sixers. At, the, at yeah. the same time, though, like, well, baseball is interesting because baseball was super relevant for that month. And it ended, what, November 2nd? Something like that. When was the last baseball conversation you had? And I, mm-hmm. Do you, are <laughs> no. you at the dinner table talking about where's Shitani Otani? What's his name? Yeah, I mean, I've, read, I've read pieces about where's that, but I have going? not talked to Think anyone about that. Think he'll go to Seattle? That. Like, have you heard that conversation at Starbucks? No. Or like, 
Who who are your top five free agents? Again, working at the ringer, yeah. I feel my life is a little skewed. I wonder who's having the conversations though. Like, I I think the Red Sox. I've noticed with the like the the Boston people are nuts about the Pats and the Celtics right now. But the Red Sox, who are they going to get? I think at Eric Cosmer. That was always like a real thing. It was way up there, and it's just different now. And I don't know whether yeah. it's because they won the World Series or what, but um, I don't know. Like, I mean, my, like Maze was saying, Maze was in my different. office just now, and we were saying Giancarlo Stanton getting traded. Like, think yeah. about when A Rod became available in two thousand three. That was yeah. like a daily massive story. Where's he going? Is he going to go here? There? Like, it was like that dominated everything. Stanton should you be a bigger where deal. You remember when it happened? It yeah. was that kind of thing. Oh yeah, and when he yeah. signed with the Rangers before that. That was huge. Yeah. Yeah. It's just. I mean, the Knicks are 11 and 11. 11 and 11. And it's as if in New York City, it's as if they're in the playoffs. I mean, people are, you know, surprised by it. And they make people happy. I think Knicks games for the first time in a long time make people happy to watch. Well, I think Jay, that's part of it, too. You were in the city during the 48 hours when it seemed like they might trade Porzingis. Yeah. It was like New York was under attack. I mean,. <laughs> All my friends who were in New York City that week were like, it was all anyone talked about. You just, anywhere you went, people were like, whoa, whoa. Like they thought it was like having Phil Jackson, this crazy dictator who lost his mind. Uh, let's talk about Casper, the sleep brand that continues to revolutionize its line of products to create an exceptionally comfortable sleep experience one night at a time. Three mattress models, the original Casper, the Wave, and the Essential. Casper mattress is perfectly designed to soothe and cradle your natural geometry, not to mention the breathable design helps you sleep cool, regulates your body temperatures throughout the night. It's delivered right to your door in a small, how do they do that size box with free shipping returns in the US and Canada, even better. Casper offers a 100 night risk-free sleep on a trial. They mailed me a mattress two years ago. I've been using it ever since. Started sleeping better. Made me feel stupid. I didn't care about my mattress sooner. Now you can get $50 toward any mattress purchase by visiting casper.com slash BS. Use offer code BS. Terms and conditions apply. Casper.com slash BS code BS. What were you going to say, Brian? I'm amazed with NBA fandom how people tolerate teams that are still in the womb, like the Sixers, like it's the Bucs. Like, the Sixers aren't going to win anything this year. They're not going to do anything. They're not going to win anything, right? They may show great improvement. The process, you know, everything might pay off in a way, but it's not, or begin to pay off. They're not going to win anything. But weirdly, there's this huge tolerance for for watching this long runway, right? Giannis is the same thing. Giannis has been well, the about, to be, more good, about to be competing. good for about to be good for years, yeah. right? And and we've been talking about it for years and years and years. But there's weirdly fandom. It just starts at an earlier place. Like if if the NFL, you know, we're not really we don't care about the team that's going to be good in two years in the NFL. In yeah. the same way, or certainly not baseball. Yeah. You know, it's like the, you know, it's like you cared about the Astros when they got good, good enough to win a division, good enough to win the World Series. It's flipped too far. I, I keep going back to the, the idea of like a pleasure center too, though. The NFL is starting to feel like work. Okay, it's Sunday. I'm going to sit and watch this for now, six to nine hours. You know, it feels like you're kind of dutifully doing it, whereas. You know, you check your phone and you say, oh, the Bucks are playing the Celtics. Ooh, I need to get somewhere and watch that now. Um, 
and there's just more and more of it. I also just think a 500 basketball team with the way that the rules are set up and the way that the game is flowing is a lot more fun to watch than the 500 football team by far Yeah, uh, because you can sort of see exciting things happen regardless of whether or not they're getting the wins. Um, so I think that's a change as well. Yeah, if you're a Bengals fan, if the Bengals were an NFL team, <laughs> you'd be like, oh, we got a tank. We got to get in at the bottom five. <laughs> I noticed like I did this trades column today like where you're talking about the Philly fans with the runway. So it's actually flipped a little too far the other way. Cause I, I, I had a trade in there that I knew the Philly fans would hate, but I didn't care. It was basically Markel faults and contract and whatever for CJ McCollum. Who's probably like somewhere between the 25 and 30th best player in the, in the league. And if you add him with Embiid and Simmons, you can actually make a real run in the playoffs. And my, my, the point I was trying to make, I know they won't do that trade, but the point I was trying to make was people always try to preserve that long runway. And sometimes they lose sight of the fact that you can actually be good right now. And I think OKC is a good example of that where OKC had that long runway, right? 08, 09. It's like, ah, oh, the Westbrook and Durant. Oh, now they have Harden. Oh, someday this team will be really good. And then they actually just were really good. And they made the 2012 finals and People are like, oh, they're going to be here for the rest of the decade. And then, you know, they trade hard and they have some injuries and they never get back. Yeah. My yeah. point is, you don't know with the NBA. You don't know when somebody's going to get down. The Bulls thought they had the whole decade. Derrick Rose gets hurt. They're never relevant again. And Philly has Embiid and Simmons, who are two of the best 17 players in the league right now. If you add a third player, that it's actually realistic. You can beat teams in playoff series. And yet everybody's infatuated with the runway. We can't. Oh, we have faults and cap space. And it's like, well, maybe you should just go get CJ McCollum. That's what's mystifying. I mean, it's a very meta sports fandom, uh, yeah. you know, that the NBA is a lot of the time. Right. And I'm always, and I think it's partly just because we consume sports so differently now with your league pass and all this stuff. Cause if you were sitting at these, I mean, I say this is an early nineties Dallas Mavericks fan. If you were actually going to all these games. You'd be like, this is so boring. Yeah. This is I, the, actually, but if you're watching 19 games at once and thinking of trades and doing fantasy and all this stuff, then you're kind of, you tolerate stuff like that in a way. I will say this about the NBA. And I think it's more true than ever. You can go to a bad NBA game and still have a good time. Kevin O'Connor and I went to the Timberwolves Clipper game on Wednesday. Again, Clippers are top, missing top top ten ten top one percent of NBA fans. I'm going to make my case. Okay. The Clippers had everybody. Blake Griffin's in street clothes. <laughs> Patrick Beverly's out for the year. Gallinari had just come back. He's hurt. Like they're a mess. Doc Rivers just wants to get bought out. He just doesn't want to do it. Half of the seats are empty. Minnesota comes in. They had this team that there's a weird vibe. Like, a, I'm not positive the Timberwolves like each other. All of it was so fascinating. Like, they're right there. These guys, like, you can watch them. We're watching timeouts. We're trying to figure out if Jimmy Butler likes Carl Anthony Towns or not. We're enjoying how crazy Austin Rivers is and how good he thinks he is. And there's stuff to pull out of the game, regardless of the fact that it wasn't a good game. Whereas, like, if we, you and I went to the Giants-Chiefs Giants game, Dear God. That nine to six game sitting in the wind with all the TV commercials <laughs> and all these punts and you're just in the stands. It's like, what the fuck? And you, and it took you an hour and a half to get there and a half hour to walk up to the third deck. And then you're way up there and you're freezing. And what, how is that fun? 
But also, you're not even watching action. You know, I went to the Big Ten Championship the other night in Indianapolis and sat in the stands of Wisconsin fans uh, because I would be too embarrassed to do it in the press box. And uh, you're watching guys stand around for three and a half hours, more or less. I mean, there is, what, 10 minutes of action comprehensively in a football game? So you're not even watching people do the thing that they're supposed to be great at. Um, But guys, uh, breaking news, Otani to the... Anaheim Angels. Whoa. Wow. <laughs> really? LA's going to remember it yeah. has two baseball teams oh, again. A, uh, oh, my sorry, God. Los Angeles Angels. Yeah, I was yeah. going to say. <laughs> Not actually Holy Angels anymore. Sorry. Wow, right after we were talking about how what's the next big baseball story. There we go. Oh, yeah. So Mike yeah. Trout, Pujols, and Otani. Okay. Pretty cool. There you go. Um, we uh, We wanted to mention about things... We're not sure people care about 2018 coming soon. World Cup, no America in it. Winter Olympics, <laughs> no Russia in it. And I'm not even sure people cared the last time. Have we, are we hitting the anti-peak World Cup slash Winter Olympics? I know the soccer nerds are going to care about the World Cup. Let's start there. Will Americans watch the World Cup knowing that America is not in it? Because soccer fandom's kind of like NBA fandom in this way, right? At it's least, the long run. At least you and I know a lot of people that are well, and that 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 kind of consume it in this intellectual way, right? They don't need the huge, but this boy, this is going to test it, right? It still pulled in casual people, whose number one question was, "When does America play? Mm-hmm. Are we any good this year? For sure. Could we? Could we get to the next round? That was the basis of how most Americans followed the World Cup." Now we're going into this, can Argentina finally win with Messi? And all these conversations that are way more hardcore than like my mom is prepared for (laughs) and my wife and my children. So I don't know. What do you think, Jason? And not to mention a new network completely trying to figure out how to cover a World Cup and having to do it in Russia. Um, It's uh, not going to be easy. Uh, I think it's a big blow. I mean, look at the numbers that Fox had for the reveal of the draw. I think they got less than 100,000 people watching it, I think, when ESPN did it four years ago, close to a half million, just for the draw. Um, You know, that bandwagon thing is real. You know, I felt it, you know, both in uh, Brazil, but also when you came back to the States and people were really excited about it. I don't think it's like some sort of thing where there's such a new class of international soccer fan that they don't care whether or not the United States are in. I mean, yes, those folks exist for sure, and they will always exist, but that's a big blow to that audience, I believe. Yeah, I would even say it's, I don't know if big is a strong enough word. And, And the problem is it's every four years, so now we're talking eight years. Now, here's the counter argument. There's so much good soccer on all the time. And with the TVs and how the the soccer watching has evolved, I don't know if we need the World Cup like we used to. No, that's a good question. I do think the World Cup is helpful if you're Mr. Casual Soccer fan, which I'm definitely in that category. Yeah. Because you just say country versus country. And I have an opinion about most countries. Right. Right. Or I, I, I know who I I know who I want in this thing. It's kind of like the Olympics in that way. You're, like, you're a little xenophobic? Well, well, no. Like, I, mean, I don't like Italians. No. I'm not rooting for Italy. Well, <laughs> I mean, if xenophobic means there are certain countries I root for the over certain countries, sure. Yeah. I mean, like, I, don't, I kind of want the South American team to win this one. I'm sure. I'm I, can, I can do that randomly like anybody else. I think England's in it. I'm going to throw my allegiance behind England just because they're, they're kind of like the 
pre-2004 Red Sox of soccer. And by the way, this is what we do with, you mentioned yeah. the Olympics. This is what we do with the Olympics every every two years. Yeah. You pick a country. Yeah. If there's not or American. You pick athletes. Yeah. And also, by the way, I'd like to remind everyone, we do have gambling. And and I'd also like to remind anyone that the U.S. team was terrible. And even if they had made the World Cup, would have gotten their asses kicked. They had one guy that really is going to matter for the future. And then they yeah, were just in the middle weeks. of two errors. Even if you have a bad team, you get two weeks to be in the thing, which is a huge thing for you know an audience build and for a television network. That's true. I mean, look, I wouldn't get rid of the World Cup. It is inarguably the most popular television event in the world. I mean, and every game that I got the chance to see in Brazil is in the top 10 sporting events I've ever seen, just in terms of the passion, the scream. I mean, just it was insane. I just didn't think a sports event in, in, in the flesh could sort of reach that level of rapture. Um, you know, there's nothing totally like it. And if we're not in the picture, it doesn't sort of matter to the rest of the world. Um, well, that Olympics, is, that is for feel, damn sure. Yeah. yeah, I mean, the Olympics, uh, I mean, you know, I know you've had Casey on and people for uh, L.A. 2028. At this point, just put them in Burbank, California, because they are effectively an NBC production. Let's just do it every two years. You know, there you can have sound stages for the ski slopes and so on and so forth. I mean, just the excess that exists around these games and the corruption. And this week, we, of course, had the insane, uh, you know, Russian doping scandal come to a head with them getting banned. Uh, You know, does anyone really feel good about the Olympic Games in 2017? I feel weird. I feel I feel we have that we've had this conversation every two all two years now. We and we are depressed in the kind of NFL way. Oh God, this you know yeah. this stuff. But then when the games start, people pre- get pretty locked in. When the summer games start, yeah, I'm not sure about winter. Even, win- even winter, what I mean, are, it's always less. What are your but, top three things you care about at the Winter Olympics? Skating, <laughs> skating. Um, I couldn't say hockey really with a straight face. Well, they they basically they ruined that. Sorry, sorry. Figure skating, speed skating. I'll, okay. I'll get that. Will that will command like my speed attention? Skating. Who won four years ago in speed skating? No clue. <laughs> That's the thing. <laughs> no clue. It's just like in one year out the other. Just yeah, the Dutch. But that's pretty close. But that's always with with the Olympics. I feel like I don't know who's in it until summer, five minutes before I, it starts. But summer matters. Though. Summer. There's a carryover to summer. But it's you, like who's going to be the hundred year you know this hundred like, meter sprinter? You don't know this who's time. in the Olympics until ten minutes before it starts. True. You start reading stuff and look at that sport. Remember the old days, that Sports Illustrated preview that was really big fat issue. You'd get excited. I do care about the summer, though. Well, of course. I like the track. The swimming's always fun. Phelps is what Phelps did uh, last year. Downhill? You're not going to get into that? I do like the downhill. <laughs> yeah, see? I do. Here we go. Yeah, I guess. It, it's just... Curling? Yeah, curling's pretty good. See, curling always got... seems like curling and handball are the two sports that seem like they're always going to have a moment and it never happens. Bill's going to be on CNBC at like 3 a.m. watching that. <laughs> well, yeah. What, what are the time, Jason, what are the times for when these things it's are a even running? It's time difference, I believe. Yeah. So everything that's happening in Pyeongchang at 830 in the morning will be available for him here in the United States. So I eat. You might see some of the shifting that went on in Beijing where they put some of the big swim finals in the morning and so on, which, you know, is a pain for athletes. You have to sort of reset your competitive clock and so on. But, yeah, it's true. These time differences are definitely not good for the U.S. market. Um, And I agree. I think that the winter games have been somewhat diminished, not just for television audiences, but you can't find hosts. I mean, they basically gave the games to Beijing for uh, 2022 because they couldn't find anybody else to take them. 
Yeah, I don't. Um, I don't know what it, happens with winter. It seems like nobody wants the winter. She's not worth it. But it doesn't matter to us as viewers, right? I mean, that's always a big economic story. But we're not like, oh, it's in Korea again. May, I'm, I'm so upset. It you know, might you don't matter care. If, they, if nobody has the Olympics. <laughs> we, <laughs> I mean, do you think we'll ever get down to zero? Them? We might. It's conceivable. Yeah. What if these Asian these Asian countries realize like, oh, that was stupid. Then who, who's, just who's run, up next? We just run out of people. There will not be a Putin to create a, a Sochi, a town, uh, a little Olympic village in Sochi. That will I, never happen. That will, will run out of people like that. I think that Lake Placid had the Olympics is one of the five most unbelievable things that it's ever incredible. happened. Incredible. Incredible. I know. It's incredible. <laughs> we go up there, you know, in the summertime and it's like, you cannot believe one of the most signature sporting events in the history of the planet happened in this tiny mountain hamlet. It's unbelievable. There's a push a little bit with the IOC to try to go back to that. I don't think we'll ever go back to something as small as, um, you know, Lake Placid, of course, but, you know, the Lillehammer type environments where they actually feel like authentic winter destinations as opposed to something that's a major metro, you know, sits with a, a mountain three, three hours away. I mean, Sochi is, you know, Mediterranean, I believe. It's a good ceiling basement argument because you could tell me the World Cup, people are going to totally get into it. I would believe it. And you could tell me Winter Olympics is fine. I'd believe it. You could also tell me both of them from an American interest standpoint are going to completely crater. And I would believe that too. What I couldn't believe in our Slack was how many people didn't know who Tanya Harding was that worked for the ringer. Whoa. Oh, I would say man. it was half the staff were like, who's that? Like, why are they? What's I, Tanya? She was a skater. What? <laughs> I, I would say that was the biggest TV moment other than the OJ car chase of the entire last decade. Oh, yeah. When she skated. And the ratings. Vern Lundquist did it. The Who, ratings were just You gigantic. remember where you were, right? Yeah, of course. Do you remember where you were, Jason? 100%. And the other part of it was like Nancy Kerrigan was like New England royalty. I mean, that yeah. was, she was probably the most famous women's athlete in Massachusetts history. That was a big, big deal there on top of it being a big, big deal everywhere else. Kind of an ice queen, literally. <laughs> Interviewed her once, icy, <laughs> literally. Uh, one last break to talk about Simply Safe. The holidays can be a crazy time. You want to make sure your home's protected through all of it. What better time to step in with Simply Safe Home Security? Simply Safe has made everything about security effortless for you. You barely have to lift a finger. Just order it online. It's delivered right to your door with free shipping. Setup so easy. It takes less than an hour. A ten-year-old can do this. Best of all, Simply Safe has no long-term contract. You, you feeling safe in your house these days, Brian? Yeah, but okay, I can always feel a little bit safer. Okay. No pushy sales, guys. No hidden fees. You're protecting your whole house for an honest and fair price. Is it safe in New York these days, Jason? Yeah, yeah. Okay. I feel safe. Uh, $15 a month for best in industry, 24-7 alarm monitoring. You're never locked in. Go right now and get 10% off simplysafebs.com. That is Simply Safe with two eyes. It's the holidays. These systems will fly off the shelves. Grab one as soon as you can. Go to simplysafebs.com for 10% off. Yeah, the uh, we did, I think we did, yeah, we did a Tanya documentary in one of the 30s. Sure. Underrated tough hang Olympians. Yeah. You know, they're young, they're unformed. Michael Phelps, right? Love watching him swim. Do we need a, do we, would you want hours with Michael Phelps? When you're in that, when you're in a pool for 18 hours a day, it's, there's yeah. the, that could be some social ramifications. Not fault necessarily, but yeah, tough, tough hangs collectively. Um, last topic. How would you get in the sports media now if you're 21? I know Jason has some thoughts on this. 
Well, what I was wondering is that are there people who are coming up through the ranks now who are just you know strict traditionalist sports writers, right? Like they, what they want to do is they want to write, they want bylines, they want to see their name in print and write stories. Or are writers uh, or quote unquote journalists like becoming more sort of 360 type, you know, personalities who have skills in digital, have skills video, who can do kind of a bunch of things at once. I mean, it seems like that's what you need to be now, right? And that guys like us, frankly, because we came up with one approach, are increasingly fossilized. And is that great because, you know, now you're sort of diversifying yourself, you have more options in terms of places you can go, or does it, is there potential for sort of the I'm not saying the death of print to come in, but does you know print become less prioritized in terms of the way that sports are discussed? I was at Indiana <laughs> University the other day talking to the the hot take artists of tomorrow. Ah, and um, <laughs> I think the answer is actually fairly simple: is they're like the young versions of the journalists of today, which is they cover uh, Indiana soccer for the school paper. They have their own podcast. They're dabbling in the yeah. TV studio there yeah. and doing little updates. They're doing sidelines. They're, they're like us. They do everything. You know, they're not just coming up as I'm going to be the soccer beat guy. They they do. They have yeah. a blog. You know, they they tweet a ton. They just they're like a, they're like they're like adult sports writers. The tweeting part worries me. I I would I I would say for the people in college, what an awesome time if you wanted to get into this industry. I'm going to go the other way. Wow, I'm doing a swerve. When I was in college, we had one school newspaper and one radio station. There was no other way to get seen, read, or heard. That was it. Those were your two options. And I badgered the editor of uh, of the Crusader, Gary Salentic, my old Holy Cross newspaper, and just convinced him to give me a column, like the second issue. Then he ran it, did well, and then I just badgered him, and I never gave up that column. I wrote it every single week radio station you wait in line can i do this can now it's like like you said you can have a podcast let's say i went to holy cross now i guarantee i would have a holy cross basketball podcast making fun of george blaney who was then the coach who was terrible (laughs) who who would leave every game with four timeouts somehow um you could have your own holy cross sports website you could i mean you you could do so many different things you could be on instagram there's so many different ways you could capture what's happening in your school that we didn't have 25 years ago, I would say that's a positive. Yeah, yeah. It, it solves yeah. the problem of there's a dickhead I don't like who's the sports editor. Yeah, right? or there's right. three gonna, people ahead of me and I can't get a column. Yeah, or I'm so I'm going to go do my yeah. own thing. Oh, absolutely. And the barrier to entry, like coming down, is is huge. I mean, we all had experiences with crusty sports editors that you know over us who didn't want anything to do with us. Um, Bill, not to digress completely, but uh, and to put you on the spot, where do you fall on the whole Crusaders thing? Because that's come up quite a bit recently. Oh, I'm so glad you asked. It's it's <laughs> it's led to some of my favorite Tommy Heinsohn ever. <laughs> he's just com- he's completely appalled and just too old, and he's ah. He's put a story this though, right? That the Holy Cross Crusaders name has come up for deliberation of whether or not that. You know, the history of crusading and what it means, uh, you know, in the religious capacity is, is uh, you know, it's, it's, a lot of folks think it's time for a name change. Yeah. And we're going back to the 11th, uh, the 11th century. I was going to say, yeah. We're going, we're going back a thousand years and people wondering if they should be offended by things that happened a thousand years ago. I'm pretty sure 
we'd be offended by anything that happened a thousand years ago, right? Like ninety nine percent of things that happened. Tommy thinks it's outrageous. I always felt like the crusader when I was there and maybe my head was in the same with some of the religious stuff, but I always thought it was a dude on a dude on a horse with, with dressed like a knight and the crusaders was like, we're crusading for stuff. I never knew about the 11th century and right, the whole, yeah. I think the problem is what we get into and there's, there's, I've read both sides. Dan Shaughnessy actually wrote a column about the globe and there's two sides to the story. I see both sides. Oh yeah, he's a Holy Cross boy, isn't he? Yeah, and he he settled on that we should keep it side. My fear is that we've hit this point in, in 2017 where a bunch of people can get lathered up about anything and instead of coming to the right decision or a thoughtful decision, people just panic and say, well, let's we'll just get rid of it because that then we won't have to hear from these people anymore. And I hope that's not what happens here. I would not get rid of it. You must have a backup in your head. For for a name? Crusaders. Yeah. I it just can go so badly. It's gonna be so generic. <laughs> it See, could be like the Holy Cross Hill. Here's the you thing. know, because it's on a hill. Like that could end up being the name, and I'm just gonna want to die. The backup name is always <laughs> the most generic name. We had yeah. a lot of high school rebels when I was uh, oh, yeah. a young and right being in the South and in Texas. And they just all became like the Raiders, you know, and it was right. just like, uh, and the Raiders probably, you could go back to the 500 AD and probably something bad <laughs> happened with a Raider. They're just, they always, you just pick the mo- the least offensive thing, right? You just go, yeah, to the, so like, we're going to end up being like the Holy Cross the pillows, ca- the Cardinals or just some of the Cardinals, you know, like, why not? <laughs> I don't like it. I, I get it in a lot of cases. Do you you get where do you guys stand on the Redskins? Like I think they should change their name. Oh sure, that's offensive. Yeah, absolutely. Cleveland Indians change the logo to yeah. start. Chief Wahoo. That's, that's that should have been gone a long time ago. That's the that's thing is awful. once you start crossing off names, then where's the line? You do, all right. I I actually think the Cleveland Indians should probably go away. Well, to your point about people getting lathered up and and them changing, that that's just what's always happened in history. I mean, the tools are different. Yeah. But that's that's how these things happen. Is a few people get angry and get organized and they make a difference. Yeah. It's not a national referendum ever. He here's I always look at it this way. Who's actually offended by the Holy Cross Crusaders? Who's sitting around going, "I can't believe I can't believe that we have this name. It's all I'm thinking about. Like, who cares? But it's the Im- I think it's it's the image you project to the world, right? Or to Boston, or to America, or to whatever. I mean, it's it doesn't have to be that somebody is deeply offended. Uh, you know, saying I'm, you know, for instance, I, you know, I don't like the Crusades or whatever. But but there's a there's a larger thing of saying this is these are the things we value, and this was okay, you know, 50 years ago, and maybe it's not okay anymore. Yeah. Yeah, and also sometimes in these disputes, the howling actually is coming from the opposite direction, where it's the alumni and specifically the donors who get really worked up about changing the name and pledging that they're not going to contribute anymore if the name change goes through. So, you know, it gets you, valuable on both sides. You know, it's funny. Like I was reading the stories about it, and they said the St. John's Redmen were the now the Red Storm. I had no idea. Yeah, that's <laughs> when do we even that's we never idea. really talk about the names. You if know? you change it, no one in ten years, yeah, no one will remember. Cross. No one will remember the old name. Really, we should just get rid of names. Mm. Just call it Holy Cross, yeah. Harvard. Like, who needs a last name? Yeah, college, you can kind of do it. It's going to the same in the NCA bracket. I think my issue with the Crusaders, just because I went there, is it was so ingrained in every part of 
the college, like the newspaper was called the Crusader. The yeah. satirical group that the troop that would have the eight people that made fun of stuff at Holy Cross every year were the Crusaders. And to just get rid of, you're not just getting rid of the name, you're getting rid of everything. You're making Tom Heinsohn and Bob Cousy mad. They're still alive. <laughs> Why do we want to antagonize Tom Heinsohn and Bob Cousy? They're natural treasures. Uh, As if know. Tommy Heinsohn needed something else to, you know, needed a reason to get worked up. I think it's unbelievable that he's still doing games. I just want to be alive yeah. at 87. Um, so your advice for getting into sports media, we can all agree is to have a bunch of different pitches, keep busting your butt and yep. do what it takes to get seen. Don't rely on the old structure of I'm in college. I have to get a thing in a newspaper. Like that might not necessarily be the thing you have to do. I'd have one great pitch, yeah. one great pitch and a bunch of secondary pitches. Right. Which is, I think, yeah, what all sure. journalists are now, right? Get Everybody reps. does one thing really well that's that has a great job, and then they do a lot of other stuff too. The one thing I will say about interning, especially when you're in college, is when you can get some of those grunt hours done when you're young and dumb and you're in college and just going to your local newspaper three days a week and getting people coffee and taking high school scores, getting all that shit done when you're 19 versus when you're 25. It's a big difference. Reps. Yeah. Yeah. Reps and getting the door. And what happens a lot with those interns is they, uh, you know, the people there start feeling bad that you don't have a better job. Get nephew Kyle. <laughs> nephew that, Kyle is busting really his ass for us. Now he produces 14 well, what podcasts. Yeah. What you're talking about is stamina, basically. Yeah. Right? It's like, you know, you have more stamina when you're 19 years old. You can go and watch a dumb high school game on a Tuesday night and stand there for four hours and talk to kids afterwards. I mean, it's embarrassing how little stamina you get as you get older. I went, you know, again, at the football game the other night. You know, I'm in the stand, so I'm standing up for the entire game. Like, don't we get to sit down at some point? This is ridiculous. What's going on here? <laughs> get down! So true. When I look into the, when you look into the eyes of young journalists, you can tell who's like, I'm going to do this. Yeah. This is the thing yeah. I have to do. And the other person is like, this is fun. Maybe I'll do this. And you're like, that yeah. guy or gal is going to do it because they're just obsessed with it. They can't imagine themselves doing anything else. And that guy or gal is going to do it maybe if they get a couple of breaks, but probably they're going to drift into another job. That's something we've had success with at the last site and this one, just kind of being able to tell who really wants it. You can tell. You can see the, the eye of the you tiger can tell from pretty, the clips, pretty obvious. You can tell from the emails. You can just tell from... You know what they're what what they're bringing to the table. All right, Jason, I think it's time for your parting shot. Thank you, gentlemen. Uh, yes. Um, well, let me begin. As someone who lives in the wildly lucrative world of print newspapers, I've never had to think a lot about money. But the other day, I was in the Mediterranean on my yacht. <laughs> reading about Jimbo Fisher's new contract with Texas A&M. Mm. Ten years, $75 million. And I said to my yacht captain, <laughs> it's time for me to make a change. So, gentlemen, I'm here to let you know I quit. I'm going to become a college football coach. And I will Ooh. do it for half, half of what they are paying Jimbo Fisher. That's right. Ten years, thirty-seven point five million, <laughs> and I won't even ask for the jet, except on special occasions like vacations, weddings, birthdays, gambling trips to Vegas, the Super Bowl, Masters, and the running of the Bulls. 
Mm. But gentlemen, I believe I am worth it. And that's why I bid you farewell, my ink-stained pal. I'll see you on the sidelines. Unless you two want to join me as assistant for $1.8 million a year. Wow. That was beautiful. You've, you've mastered perfect. how to parody those. It's really, I don't, it's incredible. God. I love when people get so upset about college coaches switching teams, which has happened our entire lives, and everybody is totally stunned and surprised each time. What about the kids? What about the kids they recruited? Oh it's like, well, when, they, when they didn't allow the transferring, that was a little bit ridiculous. But they I never mean, allowed the transferring. Easy. But they, yeah, the, the answer is have more rights for everybody. These rules leave, have been not, awful every right. year for our entire lives. Yeah, and We're like, oh! Yeah, and they never get mad when the coach gets fired. It's only when the coach leaves. The man just lost his job, brutally fired in front of America. Ah, he sucked. This is why my decision to really not care about college sports other than March Madness and the two BCS playoff games is really starting to pay off. I think everyone else is starting to realize how awful college is. Probably for the best. And how awful the NCAA is and how unredeeming all of this stuff is and what a fucking waste of time it is. And it's fun to watch the games and it's fun to see the crowds, but everything about it is completely corrupt and morally bankrupt. And it's fucking sucks. I got yeah. that. I don't no, feel I, bad I about feel it. A lot of the same feelings. I mean, you know, professional sports by no means are perfect, but at least they're sort of more on the level, right? Everyone's getting paid. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's at least some sort of agreement there. But um, yeah. I mean, you look at this like. You know, to your point, you look at the charges that are out there with the NCAA and the shoe companies and the AAU programs. Like, this has been going on literally now for generations. This yeah. is not some sort of new development. So what's happening now is, you know, because of the information that's out there, people know more. So the hypocrisy feels more naked to people now. Yeah. Guess what? If the Giants come to Jim Harbaugh and they offer him seventy million for five years to be the Giants coach, guess what? Guess what he's going to do? He's gonna he's gonna hug everyone in Michigan, give them the middle finger, and leave. That's it. Hey, there's no part of you, there's no part of you, like a tiny, tiny part of you that wouldn't be slightly panicked of Belichick going because you watch that old like NFL Films documentary and you see yeah. how weepy he is about the racquetball court and about the Giants and what they mean to him. You know, there's not a tiny, tiny part of you that's nervous. Oh, it's an entire part of me that's nervous. We- <laughs> The, the Pats fans and the people that I text and email with and everyone who loves the Pats in my life, all we talk about is like, this could be the last year. Oh my God, how's Brady still doing this? Let's enjoy this. Like they, the game when Jacoby Brissett was going to be the quarterback last year. It's like, this is our future. Like, believe me, the Pats fans know. We know this is freaky. This is, this is a crazy two decade run. And in five years, they're going to be the Jets. Yeah, the one thing he didn't, he learned so much from Parcells, right? But the one Parcells lesson he didn't take is after the first Super Bowl, Parcells would have been out of there and would have been coaching another team for even more money. Right. And then what after yeah. that would have been down the road with another team for even more money. He, the, he has not done that. He hasn't. They leave him alone and he's smart enough to know he's still has the best quarterback. I guess of all he did time. it with the Jets, but he, I do he, feel has, like- he hasn't done it. Since he got to the Pats. We talked about this with Lombardi in the podcast a few weeks ago. I do feel like the Garoppolo trade made me wonder if it's the beginning of the end for him. Because he has no exit plan now. He's tied with this 40-year-old man who is improbably still playing QB at an exceptionally high level. And once that goes, either he's 
either he's the last challenge for him is going to be to try to still compete without a great quarterback, or he's just like, when Brady's gone, I'm gone. I don't know, because Jimmy G's really good. The other thing that he's been able to do, though, is keep that coaching staff somewhat intact for the last bunch of years. That's pretty unusual. I mean, usually what happens is your coaching staff gets gutted, but, you know, he's at McDaniels and Patricia for a long time now, and it seems like guys are getting paid well enough that they know that they, I mean, they're not in any hurry to leave. I mean, why go to the Browns? Why go to some lousy franchise? you know, for double the money if you can just sort of wait it out. And I think the Giants are sort of a classic example of that is sort of a waited out team. You know, you want to get on that. And that's that's a good job for somebody. Um, and maybe that will be finally what gets McDaniels there. That The best thing that's happened to him is the guys that have left the Pats have not had any success whatsoever. I was going to say, that's what I was going to say. It's better beware. I don't want Romeo show. Cornell too. Romeo Cornell, Charlie Weiss, McDaniels went to Denver and flamed out. Bill O'Brien is on the bottom half of NFL coaches. I would say it's not like, it's not like it's been this uh, tree sprouting coaching lemon coach. It's been actually yeah. coaching lemons. I was going to say coaching oranges, but I think uh, I, my guess would be McDaniel's has a job. I think he gets one of these coaching jobs. It's time. Not sure which one. Brian Curtis, any last thoughts? No, you got them all. Okay, Jason Gay, any last thoughts? Uh. Should I see um, Lady Bird? Yeah. Okay. Haven't seen. Here's it. a take that's not even hot. The movies were good this year. It was a good movie year. Everybody was so had their panties in a bunch about how there was going to be this awful movie. The, what's happening to movies? TV has destroyed movies. There's a lot of good movies. There's a ton of depth. Movies this were year. fun. There's lots of there's there lots were even of stuff a couple to good see. comic movies. But uh, I watched uh, Molly's Game the other night, which is like 15 minutes too long, but that was good. I thought Lady Bird was great. I thought Phantom Thread was great. Um, there's a couple I haven't, still haven't seen. Get Out was fantastic. But I think this was a really, really good movie year. I was watching Logan Lucky on the Plane. That's 2017, right? Solid watch. Not even in anybody's top 10 list. No. And just a really great hour and a half. I think it was a good year. Thumbs up all the way Has around. Has anyone seen Downsizing? No. I'm no. worried about that one, but people seem to like it. It seems like they ripped off the Martin Short movie when he got injected in Dennis Quaid. Whatever that, Inner Space? Oh, uh, uh, yeah. Inner Space. <laughs> inner Space. And on that note, Jason Gay, we'll read you on the Wall Street Journal. Thank you. Brian Curtis, we will read you on The Ringer. Thank you. Thanks to SeatGeek. $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase and NBA tickets. Use promo code BSNBA. Thanks to Simply Safe. Remember, getting a good night's sleep, easier said than done, especially if you hear a noise downstairs. Rest easy knowing your family is protected with Simply Safe's complete. Home security arsenal order today. In a few days, it'll be on your doorstep. Open the box, plug it in. You're protected 24-7. No contracts, no hidden fees. Go to simplysafebs.com. Simply safe with two eyes. Get a special 10% discount when you order today. That's it. Don't forget my column on theringer.com. Fake NBA trades. We'll be back on Monday with Cousin Sal. Thank you, fellas. <laughs>